That's how we get the moth invasion of uh, of 2008. We keep a lot of food in jars, like oatmeal, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And some a moth managed to get in there and laid eggs. And we don't know how it got in there, but just kept finding moth in the food. Like, oh, horrible. So 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 we had to go through everything. We cleaned out everything, disinfected everything. And I was like, if you leave the top off that jar, the moths will get in there. Every analysis or every um, psychological test comes down to a number eventually. I mean, there are, there are two types of research methods as in the qualitative and the quantitative. Qualitative would be interviews like this. Yeah. But would call this um, unstructured. Yeah, definitely unstructured. <laughs> Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Gary. Hello Gary. Hi Dave. So the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? Well, I know you through my partner, Zoe, who was a uh, university friend of yours. Yeah. And we met about five, six years ago. Sounds right. Uh, you're one of the first friends of Zoe that Zoe introduced me to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and how was that experience? It was a little bit tense because you're you're one of Zoe's friends that she really respects. So I'm like, oh, I want to make a good impression on this guy. Yeah, it's funny that she respects me. I've always been confused by that. But it, it's, I've been trying to convince her otherwise for years. It's nicely but. flattering. <laughs> but it's it, it it is strange. But I'm yeah, I'm very close to Zoe, and Zoe has already been on the show, so people can listen back to her uh, episode if they want to uh, get an idea of what she's all about. What do you do now? Is the other question that I ask people. Uh, for a living, I'm a, I'm a data analyst for um, a market research company. So whenever you receive one of those questionnaires, sort of saying, how do you rate this product? There's a guy like me somewhere at the other end trying to make a meaningful result out of those questionnaires. Something we can then take back and say, well, your product has problems in this area and that area. I also do work on behalf of banks and various um, bodies where they actually have to institute a certain level of ethical care to their work. So, for example, when a bank is selling a product like an investment or insurance, they have to go through in detail what each of the factors of that agreement is. And then when the questionnaire comes out to the person who's bought this product, they go, well, did they mention the risk that's involved in having an investment? Were you fully aware of all the details of that? And then and then we sort of report back and say, well, well, 9% of your people say that they weren't made aware of these risk factors, at which point that's actually okay. So if they go above 10%, you're, you're going against the standards. You studied psychology? Yes. Is that involved in the job or...? Uh, not in the way that I thought. Um, when I when I did psychology, psychology sort of broke off into sort of cognitive and biological and social psychology and all that sort of thing. 
then over the far subject that nobody likes to talk about in psychology is the methodology classes and the stats classes, which I didn't do too well in in my first year, but then started getting really good at them in the following years when I sort of knuckled onto them. And that's kind of what led into my current job role. And I mean, so and statistics, what, why did, what appealed to you about the statistics side of psychology? I'm right in thinking you're, you're dyslexic, is that right? I have a dyslexia. Right. Um, I read and write at the level of a 13-year-old, <laughs> which isn't bad enough to get me any kind of compensation. No. So and, no no extra time in exams. And you, and you like comics, so that's quite handy. Yes, yes. <laughs> Pictures, great. Little yeah. boxes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean I, you know, I, I say that with, as, a, as a comics fan myself. Like often people with dyslexia have a problem with numbers. Obviously, you don't. Uh, well, the specific problem for dis, uh, for a numeric dyslexic dys- dyscalculia, uh, dyscalculation, culia. One of my one of my jobs while I was doing my masters was to tutor students who had dyscalculia in doing their research projects, explaining their statistics, just helping them describe the numbers of their projects. So between the two of us, we would. We would re- refine their research methodology, and then make sense of the results. You were attracted to the statistics side of things because you were good at it. I mean, is there anything about? I mean, so you you get the numbers, and then I mean, how does that relate to psychology? That's the so I mean, it's the yeah. How does that relate to psychology? Every analysis or every um, psychological test comes down to a number eventually i mean there are there are two types of research methods as in the qualitative and the quantitative qualitative would be interviews like this yeah but would call this um unstructured yeah (laughs) and you also have structured interviews and semi-structured interviews this is all qualitative kind of difficult to push a number to it but not impossible so you can uh, you can break down all the different topics that come up, try to get an idea for how people feel about it, but it's not quantitative. Right. Quantitative would be in the historical perspective, the Likert scale. Whenever you sometimes when you get a uh, a test, well a questionnaire or something like that, they have a five point or seven point scale going from extremely dislike to extremely like and sort of all the scales in between that that's when you're kind of trying to put a number to how somebody feels about something and that's a very quantitative approach to things and do you think that is that something that you think i mean to me it seems a strange idea to put Mm. a number on a feeling i mean do you think that that there's benefit in that kind of approach I think there is some benefit to us. After after a after a psychological phenomena has been has been uh, discovered in someone, and usually that's quite done through a qualitative method, uh, whereas they'd look at they'd look at behaviour or whatever it is. When they're then trying to refine it down and refine it down. Then eventually you come to uh, what something that can be easily testable through questionnaire forms. Uh, for example, for years, one of the massive topics of psychology is always going to be personality, and 
there have been numerous theories on how many different aspects of personality there have been. And they go from 32 aspects of personality. Where do you lie on this big web diagram? And now the most consistent one puts it down to just about five aspects of personality. Okay. And with lots of tests now, they, they can easily sort of say, well, what kind of person you are based on just this big five personality structure. Right. Do you work out what kind of a personality someone is using numbers then or do you do you or do you do it through the kind of process of like like this like in a conversation uh no it would have started out in sort of the qualitative domain trying to pick out sort of personality that's where it'd be identified and then in a good methodology as you move as as they moved along it kind of developed into well these are the these are the quick questions to find out exactly where this person stands on on certain key issues, mm. what they would do in certain situations, and then trying to tease out what kind of personality they have. And it would be sometimes a situation of, well, if they answered three here, four here, five here, then three here, two here, they could add that up and then go, well, that puts them within this scale of things. So you can't just have a conversation with someone and then go, oh, that's that kind of personality. Or, I mean, that yeah. must be a temptation for you to do that. <laughs> I try not to. Um, <laughs> narcissist, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I try not to, um, probably because I don't know the actual inventories that well. Uh, so, but I think there's a lot of dimensions to people. It's very difficult to get what kind of person they are out in just one conversation. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, yeah. I don't want to throw out your whole show no, idea. No, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, in, in a way, it doesn't. I mean, I, I think that what this show does is it gives people a kind of a portrait, mm. uh, which is like a real art portrait, a two-dimensional image that kind of is a, is a moment. Mm. And you get you get that uh, from these conversations. But absolutely, I, 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 we don't, I don't get anywhere near the entirety of anybody mm. on it. That, Even me, and I'm, I'm in loads of them. That's actually a good point Sora brought up there, which is actually the prime criticism with all these kind of inventories, is that really you're just taking a snapshot of that person at that one moment, yeah. at that one time. And that can be affected by just your mood on that day or your or how you're feeling, how you're feeling about something. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how I, I sort of felt before I did this podcast project. I did another one. Um, which was all recorded over four days. And uh, that's very much how I feel about that project. It's like, it's not fair. How can be, <laughs> I don't want to be judged on how I was for those four, four days. days yeah. I, I much prefer, at least in, in, in this project, people see me at different occasions in different ways. But then, obviously, not, not the same for the subjects of the conversation. You can, actually refine, you can actually refine studies to compensate for this kind of thing. You could do diary studies and that kind of thing. So you're testing them every day at a certain time to actually just get an idea of what their personality is in that way as well. It can be done, but the problem is that really good research like that is very costly, very time-consuming. And I think there's actually a big problem with the research call education system at the moment where where a lot of academics will be under pressure to publish, publish, publish by the university they're working in who want to gain some prestige off the work they're doing. And so they're under a lot of pressure to publish. But if you want to do really good research, it takes time and it takes a lot of effort. And probably more than than uh, 
and they can actually give while while doing a while plan while course planning and then trying to get so many papers published here. I mean, do you have ambitions to become a, 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 a psychologist? Would it be a psychologist? What? Was, I get all confused because I know there's psychiatrist and psychologist. Psychiatrist is the one with which prescribes, yeah. Yeah. A lot. Psychologist is the one that doesn't prescribe. Yeah. yeah? I got that right. <laughs> And, Very important there. And, and you, you wouldn't be the prescribing one, would you? No, no. Uh, psychiatrists usually, I think, have to do a medical degree yeah, first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they go off and do a uh, then they do a psychiatry degree after that. Uh, so they can prescribe. They're usually based in well, they started out in sort of the Freudian psychoanalytic kind of thing. They deal fairly much on the person they're with. Whereas a psychologist tends to deal more on people as a scope. And then, of course, you'd have the sort of more the clinical psychologist who would have, I have so many patients and they're all, um, and these ones are schizophrenics, these ones have eating disorders. And while they're treating each one on a case-by-case basis, I feel it tends to be more routined, as in the same level of care, or roughly the same treatment plan would be given to each one. Okay, even if they've got different... No, not no. if they have different disorders, so but each schizophrenic... Every schizophrenic will be treated in the same way yeah. uh, according to a system that, is, that they, they're following. Yeah, I believe so. And, and do you have... Is that where you'd like to end up? Or, I mean, or, I mean... Um, at one point in time, yes, I would have, but it is actually a fiercely competitive system. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I haven't applied for a while. Okay. It would be, it'd be another three years... Of which time you'd have to do a PhD thesis while doing all these internships at different hospitals. The idea of doing a lot of internships actually sounds great to me, but uh, but it, it is also a lot of work and disgustingly competitive. What what appeals to you about the internship? Lots of internships. Well, I used to work at the disability student services department in the university, and what I really liked was the fact that no two days were really the same I, I was sort of oh I'm here till two helping this person and we're doing an animation project and now an hour later I'm helping this person and we're doing this and now another two hours later and it was it was a lot of fun and uh, I sort of liked that variety so that was, that was very compelling about sort of the idea of doing an internship that you go six months here, six months there six months somewhere else yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, that's cool. I mean, it, that's the frustrating thing about most jobs is that they, they get into a routine, <laughs> don't they? Yeah. I mean, I like, that's one of the things I like about my job is it's very varied, although it has got its own routine in its own way. Um, now, you are a dwarf. I am not actually a dwarf. No, um, but you are a live-action role-player. I am a live-action role-player, yes. And I feel that the, the fact that you are a dwarf needs to be addressed psychologically. Really. <laughs> okay. I mean, not really, but I mean, <laughs> you, you're, not, you're not a small man. No, I'm six foot. Yeah. Well, 5'11". Let's how, just call it six foot. So we'll how, round up. How, can, how, can a, how can someone who's six foot be a dwarf like how's it what how, do you, so you're playing the role of a dwarf when mm-hmm. you're doing so i mean if you want to know a bit more about larp you can probably listen back to zoe's, zoe's yeah. <laughs> uh, she covers it very uh very thoroughly um but you're you're going out to play these games mm-hmm. and in those games you're a dwarf the persona yeah yeah i mean what attracted you to being a dwarf uh, it was a unit decision. 
Right. A bunch of my friends got together and one of them said, hey, why don't we try LARP? I've been doing it for years and it's great. Yeah. Uh, so I was convinced. And <laughs> <laughs> so then we decided to come up with unit concepts. Now I've been, um, been a role player ever since I was about 11. Do you mean like tabletop? Tabletop, yeah. yeah. So I'd been through a lot of fantasy systems and that kind of thing. So we wanted to discuss how how we would, uh, what we would play. And the first thing we decided, well, we wouldn't be human. Far too boring. Yeah, I can, <laughs> yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Um, at the time, the system we were going into had a number of different races. Um, you'd have sort of the fey creatures which, which is Zoe what play. Is, yeah. <laughs> uh, you'd have sort of the um, olog orc like creatures then you have the elves the humans the beastkin and the dwarves uh, a couple more around there uh, I couldn't actually tell you what the exact decision was why we decided to do that but um, we wanted to play a, a sort of a group that was, in our own way, kind of insular, yeah. but really looked out for each other. There, there's a lot of camaraderie in the yeah. dwarf Indoors. kind of law, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I think we wanted to play up that aspect. And we wanted to go with, well, we're, we're heavily armoured guys with big weapons. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so it, it, was, it was one of the profiles that fit more plus we wanted to we also wanted to bring in sort of we're, we're loyal people we uh, we we have some magic to us. Yeah. And uh, Zoe might have told you about sort of uh, might have told you in the LARP system that we have things called rituals. I don't think she mentioned she did not. Okay. Yes, I should have known that. I listened to her interview. Uh <laughs> In, in the LARP system, you can do a ritual to give yourself a weapon of power or that kind of thing. In the LARP system, I'm in, sorry. And we thought, well, as, as a dwarven unit, we could go in and we could perform these rituals and do them all through the theme that we're forging these weapons. I wanted to play out that aspect of being uh, people who forge and make their own weapons. Yeah. I, I can see how... I can see the appeal, really, to a group of... Uh, I mean, I, I get you, are you all guys in the dwarf group? Uh, at the time, we were, but we've had girls come in and out of the unit. And they're, they're dwarf women. They're dwarf than, women. Rather than butchering up and playing men, they're, no. they're dwarf women. They are dwarf women. Um, they're not like Terry Pratchett dwarf women where they've got beards, are they? One of them did, for a time. Okay. <laughs> She used to, um, she, she, she got a very good prosthetic beard and then she would, uh, then she would, uh, attach it to her face yeah. using various kinds of glue. Do you wear a beard? Gum. I used to wear a beard, a nice big sort of bushy beard. And then, um, and I couldn't re- I couldn't fathom because at the time I was in fairly good shape. Why every time I was going into battle, I was catch, I was out of breath. And uh, I went to my doctor and he said, yeah, your asthma is flaring up and of because of the beard. <laughs> so I, I, I tried a couple of variations of beard, but nothing worked. <laughs> I, I, I tried combing. I'm, I'm allergic to dust mites. Right. Which just love the kind of the furry beard sort of locations. And I, so I tried combing 
the beard out and then I tried chopping bits out it just kept getting smaller and smaller okay. until it disappeared there's something sort of yeah there's something kind of yeah kind of sad about the idea of somebody who wants to be a dwarf but can't, can't, can't wear a beard shame of my Eunice yeah <laughs> you sent me a, a, a group of sort of suggested topics oh dear and one of them just says wife um, and I wondered why what 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 you were thinking of when you what 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 why what what would you like to say about uh wife or Joey, I guess. I love my wife dearly. She is the greatest <laughs> woman ever. Well, fine. <laughs> uh so far that's very similar to to what any any other husband would probably yeah. say on mic about their wife. Yeah. Um and I, No duress even I, I, mean, I, I don't even think that you know, I I I I don't think you're covering up or anything. Um but I mean there must be what 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 did you sort of anticipate talking about? Oh, uh, I mean, I guess a good segue in is you you met her through LARP. I met you? her through LARP. Yes, yeah. She, she she was a healer, but she didn't heal me. I had my own healer, and right. uh, <laughs> after about two years or so of seeing her in the distance, we started chatting, and eventually, kind of all fell into place. Uh, and did you when did so? Did were you did you had two years of unrequited love? No, uh, no just no. fancy, or just yeah. vaguely aware of. Vaguely aware of would be the would be the way to go with that. Uh, I mean, we were it wasn't uh, we we didn't get hit by thunderbolts or anything like that. I'm sorry to say, uh, it's kind of oh, kind of fancy you, oh, kind of fancy you, kind of thing going on. Uh, we started at at the end of the LARP day which is 2am, you have time out, where people usually uh, faff around and get fairly drunk, <laughs> uh, which, which is the nice time because you're just there chatting with friends. And that's when myself and Zoe got chatting. We found out then that we had actually a lot in common. So when I actually went with, I actually put down wife on my list of things that we could discuss, there are a number of things. Um, number one, how I met her. Yeah. Number two, the success of making a long distance relationship work. Right. Uh, eventually you have to cave in and move to them well yeah I mean long distance relationships I I can't fathom I can't understand hmm. how they work but you guys did how, how long were you in long distance relationships oh, about two years well so uh, between London and Cardiff which isn't a huge distance no, and there is an far. express train but we were both quite poor at the time so um, we were so you know you, you discover tricks like uh like buying your tickets months in advance yeah. like taking the friday and monday off work so you can leave on the cheap tickets on thursday and come back on the early tuesday <laughs> cheap ticket <laughs> so your entire journey costs 20 quid uh, or trying to take the mega bus yeah so there, there, there was a lot of that going on and and uh you know we, we did quite well and that there was a quite a bit of pressure on us then when we got together to not laze about the house <laughs> to actually go out and do something because it took so much to go, to get to each other. Yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on it. Especially, and the last thing you want to do is go and see someone and you haven't seen them in ages and then have an argument for the weekend and then you're away. Gosh. I don't know if that, that probably didn't happen because that was quite early on in the relationship. Uh... No, I don't think we... Had, we didn't have that many arguments early on in the relationship. We had... Um, I can't remember having an argument with Jen for about two years. 
No, and then 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 Until now, we moved now, in together. No, we we moved in quite quickly. Oh, well done. I mean, well, it's a weird thing. I mean, you, you know, we were we were at university, so mm-hmm. we just stayed in the same uh, room all the time. So we just swapped rooms, but we pretty much spent every night together from the start of the relationship onwards. No, I think in the, in the first year she had to have like we had to, she had to have like day away like she needs time away I'm, I'm yes. quite intense as you know as everyone knows I guess so she wanted to have a little bit of less intense time occasionally I think uh, no it's always the same she's her I'm, I'm, I'm retreating to my zone now well, Zoe does that yeah she, she does the so don't bother me in the zone for a while <laughs> go find something else to do yeah I'm really really bad at uh, that finding something else to do um, and leaving Jen alone, yeah, I'm not very good at that. Well, then That's it something comes, I have to work on. That, then it comes negotiation time. It's like, okay, dear, you can have your alone time, but I need either the laptop or to be able to watch the TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, that, yeah, I mean, Zoe's a very different person from Jen. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it there before I dig myself into a hole. Um, no, but, I mean, every, every once in a while you do need your, your distance from your partner. And so when you were doing the whole long distance thing, mm-hmm. you you were the one who finally moved to her, yeah? Yes. yes. And you were living in Cardiff. I was living, where yeah. I lived. Um, and she's living in London. Yeah. And, I mean, do you think... Because, I mean, I, I was talking to Zoe last night, because I saw Lo- Zoe last mm-hmm. night, and... I said, oh, you know, he's, he's put down wife, and I, I, I wonder what, oh, in fact, wow, on cue, she's coming <laughs> in the door, so I'm going to pause that. And, uh, so, since there's a natural break, this seems like a good time to put in a kind of advert, because that's what you put in breaks. So, I thought I would mention that my show, Stand Up Tragedy, is happening on Friday the 21st of March. That's this Friday, if you're listening to this when it came out. It's at the Hackney Attic. The theme of the night is tragic heroes and what Stand Up Tragedy is, is it's a night where people stand up and they do tragedy. It's a variety show, so it's got an amazing sketch group called the Beta Males. It's got some theatre from Drunken Chorus. It's got music from the Worry Dolls and MJ Hibbert. It's got spoken word. It's got all sorts of things. I'm going to be doing a couple of songs. It's a live show, but it's also a weekly podcast. And so if you enjoy listening to this podcast and you don't live in London, so you can't come to that show, and most of the people who listen to this show don't live in London, you might want to listen to that podcast. You can find that on iTunes, you can find it on SoundCloud, and you can find it on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, and it's Stand Up Tragedy. Check that out, see if you like it, spread the word. The other thing to say is that Getting Better Acquainted is still coming out on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, the ones airing at the moment are coming out on Fridays at 11am, and that's repeated at 2am on a Tuesday. Past episodes recut to fit an hour radio format. Revisit some of the back catalogue via the radio or online at www.resonancefm.com. Also, if you enjoy getting better acquainted, why not go on iTunes and leave a review? That would really help to boost the visibility of the show. It only takes a little bit of time just to write a few words. That would really help. Thanks very much for listening.
So Zoe is now in the kitchen and is probably no noisy enough, I should imagine, to uh, to be picked up at times. And we both have now. Now I've got a, a Coca-Cola and you have a Pepsi. Yes. And uh, we don't see eye to eye on these. We do drinks. not. No. And that's where we must leave that because there's, there, there is no real uh, nothing we can do about this on radio, Dave. I'm sorry. Well, no. I mean, you just got to understand one day that uh, Coke is vastly superior in taste. But at the, at the same time, I, not. I feel very strange about saying that because you know, obviously, I'm endorsing a corporation <laughs> on my podcast, and I'm not in any way a fav- uh, in favour of uh, the way that Coca-Cola behaves as a business or whatever. I just like the taste of it. Well, did you know that Pepsi actually has more of an internationally based board of directors? They have actually Muslims on their board. Wow. Well, I'm sure they're better ethically than Coca-Cola, who um, shot their trade union union leaders in in South America. So I, I can't really. Uh, How can you treat that? I, well, I stopped. I did stop. I did stop. <laughs> I know that was that year for a while. I can't. It's you know, <clears throat> it's very hard to give up uh, something that you really really enjoy. I guess it's an addiction. Let's face it. You know, I stopped. I stopped smoking for a year. I stopped drinking Coca Cola for a year. That it's a, a year is pretty much my my time yeah it's pretty good so I was talking to Zoe last night and I said oh you know he's, he's put down wife <laughs> why do you think he's put that down she didn't know either really but I said I, I, I posited the theory to her that it can't have been like easy initially going out with Zoe because she careful now. <laughs> She'll listen to this. Yes. She, she, <laughs> well, she will, and, and this is what I said to her last night. So I'm not saying anything behind her back that I wouldn't say to her face. You were kind of the first person that Zoe went out, with. and I knew Zoe, you know, at uni when she hadn't gone out with anybody, and and she kind of entered in a very much intense kind of exact. Uh, 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 I feel like you were probably put through a series of complicated psychological tests, let's uh-huh. say, in order to pass, which the you did. The test of patience. Yeah, exactly. The test of withstanding punishment. Well, <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, was that what it was like? I mean, because she, she said, I don't think Gary will see it that way. Uh, I really haven't seen it that way. I mean, we always have our we always have our issues. She has her mannerisms I can't stand and... I have my mannerisms that she tolerates, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I never really saw it that way because I had I've had long term partners before Zoe. Yeah. Uh, no shock revelation. She knows about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, I'm sure she does. I'm sure she knows pretty much everything. Yeah. So uh, whenever whenever you're with someone, it's it's always a matter of um, uh, everybody has their foibles their quirks their their things that will drive you nuts and uh, it's, it's sort of that yeah. idea that well if 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 you love them enough you're either going to turn that into oh i love that thing about them that they do or you turn this into well i can tolerate that thing that they do but i will remind them of us every time they do us with the hope that they'll change um is that what the way that you go ostensibly well, yeah <laughs> <laughs> And and I mean, yeah, I mean it, that that's very much like me and Jen. 
and any like, like, like any any relation. Well, no, no, actually, I, I, I mean, I don't try and. Yeah, Jen doesn't try and change me. Really? Gosh. I know it's weird. <laughs> she really should. It's kind of an ideological position that she has in a way that she doesn't believe it's right to change someone else, and I agree with her ideological p- position. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. But it's really hard in practice yeah. to remember that at all times. But you know, if 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 you have, um, I mean, tip tip probably taking it to an extreme. If they have a if they have sort of a habit that's sort of it's it's a bad habit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Leaving jars off things. It's a bad habit. The tops off jars. Yeah, that's how we get the moth invasion of uh, of two thousand and eight, where where all our where all our food we keep a lot of food in jars, like oatmeal, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and. Some a moth managed to get in there and laid eggs, and we don't know how it got in there. But sort of, you, you, you had, we had, we just kept finding moth in the food. Like, oh, horrible! So, so, so we had to go through everything. We cleaned out everything, disinfected everything, and I was like, if you leave the top off that jar, the moths will get in there. You see, when I'm hearing this, I'm just, uh, um painfully aware that I play the Zoe role in, in, in my relationship. <laughs> yes, put the uh, jars back on things, Dave. Uh, well, I mean, just just earlier on, I uh, was rolling a cigarette in Jen's room while talking to her, and I spilt tobacco on her floor. She looked very angry about this. Well, not angry. She doesn't get angry, just, like, disappointed. And I, my initial reaction was just to sort of, kick the tobacco so they wasn't there and she was like stop 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 you're making it worse I'm going to have to get a dustpan and brush and now I've got to have to go all around the house and yeah and they, so I, I know, I'm aware that I'm the messy one that is, the messy is, things are is it her floor because she cleans us it's her floor because it's her room oh it's her room so right. I went into her space spilled uh, tobacco it's terrible really yes that's and her then, private zone Dave. And, and, the, and then <laughs> to try to kick it away because that's my that's my that's the way I clean things up uh, unfortunately, and then very handy in the field, though. I mean, that works for pretty much everything. Well, yeah, but uh, the, the worst thing about it is then I mocked her for using a dustpan and brush to clean things up, which everybody listening will be like, "Well, that's what you do when you clean things up." Uh, but I, I just find it a little bit insane. Well, you see, my dad is my dad is the same obsessive compulsive in his space of no, this must be tidy. Oh, Jen's very tidy, and, and yeah, and. In the, in the contrast, well, not in the contrast, because I'm, I'm more tidy than Zoe. I've actually, I've actually, she's changed me a bit into a bit of a pig since being with her. <laughs> <laughs> She'll admit to that. Well, you, you possibly, haven't, you haven't got an option in a long-term relationship. <laughs> you have to find a way of like, what's happened with me and Jen is, I've got tidier, mm-hmm. but I have to have my untidy space, or I can't cope with the level of tidiness oh, and. That spreads out, unfortunately. I kind of it's a constant invasion into her space, and then her being very reasonable about everything, and then I feel guilty, <laughs> and then I try and sort that out. But then it's it's so hard when they're being reasonable. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's hard because I think if you were both in your natural state, then there wouldn't be a problem. But when mm. you have to live with somebody else, you have to find a way of uh, compromising. Yeah. I guess. Um, that's, that's... But. Sorry, go on. I was saying, my dad was the obsessive compulsive of, yes, the space should be clean and the space should be, t- well, the whole thing should be clean and tidy. And uh, he and he would, 
Oh, I mean, he he was he was such a state that when he got home from work, he would walk up and down the street just picking up any random rubbish that he found, <laughs> just because it bothered him. I'm not that bad. I can understand that though. I get annoyed with rubbish outside the house, yes. but inside the house, it's. A, but I mean, that's. I mean, my my dad's much tidier than my mum. Hmm. My mum's very messy, I think. But I mean, I guess I've un- inherited that messiness from her, so I can't really complain about it. So. Okay. Oh, okay. We're, we're, we're wife. Well, let's we're... talk about the other aspect. Okay. Um, why wife came down was because, uh, apart from my source of joy and light and hope in this world, yeah. uh, we had an interesting start to our relationship of LARP, and then we went to the distance relationship. Yeah. And then we, then we, uh, then sorry, moved to London to be with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, at which point uh, we decide to get married. So we did have that whole uh, Irish English culture thing yeah. to deal with, which I thought was something that you were interested in a while ago. So that's no, why I put definitely, that definitely. Wife, and then of course there was our mixed religion. <laughs> well, that's right. So, so you're from Ireland. Yes, guilty. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I, I'm the guilty one, aren't I, in that, in, that, in that engagement? No, you're Welsh, aren't you? Well, I'm not I'm not born in Wales. I'd, I, I'd, I sort of identify as Welsh, but not in a way that the Welsh will ever accept me. You're, so you're from Ireland, and Zoe is very English. She is, yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, was is there a culture clash? Was there a culture clash? Uh, there was a bit of a culture clash. Um, I have words that she will swear are not words. Like... Ament. What? Ament. Does that mean aren't or? Yeah, are not. Ament. Ament. Yeah, that's just a dialect. Thing. I am not. I amant. And uh, no, actually, spelt a m m e n t. And it's actually a word that you would write. I believe it is. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you believe? But would would another Irish person write it? Actually, yes. Okay. So Zoe was horrified to discover this. <laughs> uh, so we had that kind of culture clash. Uh, then we then our parents met for the first time, no. which was sort of another adventure itself. I mean, everybody was very very polite, so we all got through it. There's <laughs> there's, there's nothing untowards on that. Um, but uh, one of my first times meeting Zoe's grandmother, mm. uh, Virgi- uh, Virginia, is a actually a. Quite a nice lady, just every now and then you get a hint of something that that belongs to an older generation. She doesn't like the Irish. She does not like the Irish. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, like, it's not been long since you've been, you know, you're only just about allowed, allowed in pubs, like, you know, in, in London, you know, 40 years ago or something. Yeah, well, when, well, again, again, when she had children at the height of their teens and she was all worried about them, there would have been a lot of IRA activity. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's going to colour you badly so um uh and and we were talking about our about being Irish around the dinner table one day and the education system and all this kind of thing and she just sort of pops up with oh well I think the Irish are just a terrible nuisance (laughs) (laughs) so so um so from that my parents like oh we want to meet Virginia (laughs) (laughs) But I bet, I mean, the, the thing is, with all of these kind of prejudices, when you actually meet people in person, it's hard to keep them up often. Well, I'll try, but, yeah. I mean, and, and you're, so you're, and you're, you're, you're Catholic, yeah? 
Uh, I was brought up Roman Catholic, very, very much so. My first school was in a convent. My second school was attached to a monastery. Third school was was attached to a well, it was run by priests. So there's always been a very, very strong Catholic influence in my entire life. But um, would you say you're a Catholic now? No. <laughs> well, you had a Quaker wedding. I did you have can't, a Quaker you wedding. Can't. You weren't allowed to be a Catholic, were you? Well, uh, Quakers can marry in Catholic ceremonies. Uh, there's no Catholic mafia, I think, looking for me. No, the Quakers, though. They wouldn't, they didn't the, the, the Quakers are another Catholic. story. I've, my Catholicism has lapsed a lot in the last couple of years. Um, Do you still feel guilty about a lot of things? Everything. Oh, <laughs> I feel guilty that my faith has lapsed. See, I, I, I mean, I, I feel guilty about every, everything. and I, I, was, I, I wasn't at all religious. So, I mean, I, I've always identified quite a lot with the Catholic. <laughs> and uh, I've kind of moved more towards that agnostic idea that, yeah, okay, I believe I'm open to the superior being idea. I'm not sure about these heaven and hell concepts. I'm not sure about the whole Jesus thing or the whole Moses thing. Let's just... Yeah. <laughs> Sons of Abraham, the whole lot. Um, I'm not sure how much of these things, how much of the uh, lessons that they sort of teach stand up to our 21st... 20, what was it? 22nd century? I think... Yeah, I, I get confused by yeah, that. 21st century ideals. 21st, I think. And... Um, so and then of course, I, I, I just don't like the Pope and the his loss. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's the current Pope's quite hard to get behind as well. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I I liked John Paul. You yeah. know, uh, spoke a bunch of languages, played football. Yeah, which I just thought was kind of cool. You know, we had a Pope who could go out there and really play football when he wanted to. In a dress. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be pretty cool to play football in a dress. Uh, I then go off me Pope. So I, I, I thought the man was quite remarkable in himself. Yeah. Uh, but I don't like the way the whole Vatican thing is structured. And I don't like a lot of a lot of the things that have come up in the last few years. Uh, so I won't even get into all this. No, well, fair yeah. enough. Um, there's, a lot, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of history there that, that really is not your concern or mine. But I mean, uh, you know, if we were going to get into it, then I'd have to feel very guilty about everything that I've done to your country. <laughs> and, 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 you know, where where would we go from there? So you went to Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. Did you like the priests? Um, some, yes. <laughs> some were very, very nice people. Some of them were not. Right. Some of them were, were sort of soulless, <laughs> who sort of treated you as, well, he'll be gone in six years. And I mean, and did you, I mean, because there's a lot of, the, the, the idea of a Catholic school in Ireland creates a lot of ideas in, 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 in what was it like? Um, well I have no frame of reference outside of a Catholic school there's all those films there are <laughs> um, yes yeah, so we, we, we had jocks those were the boys who played rugby yeah and uh, they um, but they were smart as well so you know that was okay uh, we didn't have any actually we did have cheerleaders but again they're a bunch of guys who <laughs> like to yell and, and was it a boys school though? yes all boys schools <laughs> so just lots of boys with lots of guilt yeah right. I, I, I didn't even see a girl until I was about 18 seriously Jesus <laughs> 
Well, you had sisters, though. I, I did, but that doesn't count. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not suggesting that you put down on your on your sort of topics bullying. I mean, were you bullied at school? Oh, yeah. I'd say there was a lot of... Um, not, not so much physical bullying. Right. Although I think I would have probably got more satisfaction out of that. But there was a lot of sort of mental teasing and all this kind of stuff. A lot of bravado going about. Why were you, te- why, why were you teased? I assumed it's because I was way prettier than them. Yeah. Obviously. What did they say? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't... I, I didn't socialise within the school. I'd always... My world was always outside the school. When I was at school, my world was sort of... Well, I'm, I was collecting comics at the time with the... The fervent madness of a teenager, yeah, with a, with a hobby, and then I was sort of role playing with friends from outside school, and then I, was, I did a lot of martial arts at the time. But again, these are all things outside school. So when I was in school, it wasn't well. I'm not going to hang out with you guys later. Mm. Well, I'm not going to play those. I'm not going to play rugby because I don't enjoy rugby. So you were basically, you didn't fit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that—that's that, something I can very much identify with. I yeah. fit into my school life, which um, I think is also something myself and Zoe had kind of in common. Interesting. Yeah, that's right. I remember because yeah, if I ever do another conversation with Zoe, I'm going to talk to her about that. I mean, she had a, a group of close school friends. Yeah. who um, who I see with her now, uh, so she had a good network. But I didn't quite have that network. She just looks in through the window, but she's gone away. Okay. <laughs> Every time we mention her name. Um, and, I mean, and, and how do you think, I mean, because, I mean, I think, because, like I said, I was talking to Zoe about uh, the list last night, and she said that, I think, initially you were, you, you wrote something like, not nowhere near as bad as you were bullied, and then you decided to take that off or something, or you were considering sort of saying that your bullying was somehow not as extreme as the bullying that I experienced. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it was quite as harsh as what you had to go through. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing, the kind mm. of bullying I had. It, it, it's not even... I don't even think of it as kind of exactly... It's not, it's not your classic bullying, is it? I mean... Uh, I thought yours was. Well, that's, that's the thing. Zoe, Zoe sort of said it came across like that. I, don't, I guess it must have done on the Cardiff episode... Um, where I talk about it but I mean normally when you think about bullying you think about a lot of physical bullying now mm-hmm. I, I had moments of physical bullying but they were mm. like three oh, okay um, there was a lot of spitting and there was a lot of like flicking you know but I don't think that spitballs yeah, yeah that or, or just like hitting someone on the back of the head or whatever with a oh, yeah. corridor. I don't consider that to be physical bullying in the same way that kind of being beaten up is no I got, I got quite a bit of that kind of stuff going on yeah I mean the, the the reason I think my my bullying is kind of atypical is that I was sort of singled out by an entire school that was a weird thing about it I mean was yours would probably was some kind of a, a group of people who singled you out uh, yeah yes uh, more, more group but not not entirely while some people in the groups are more friendly, but when they're in the group, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, how do I describe this? Okay, um, I have, uh, I have this thing that I did, that myself and Zoe kind of discovered at LARP. 
is that you have these guys who by themselves are lovely guys, you know, you can have a good chat with them. You put them in a group together and they're a bunch of assholes. Yeah. You know? And when they have that group mentality going, sorry, this is well psychologically documented, when they have that group mentality going, they are capable of doing nasty things and they're driven by the worst of their personalities as opposed to the best. Do you think that in a different situation you could have been like them? Um, oh, thought-provoking. Um, probably. And I'd say I would probably even... Maybe even at one point I was like them. Yeah, I just didn't twig it mm, until... About myself, not yeah, yeah. Until, well, I'm being treated this way. I don't like being treated this way. Who have I treated in this way? Yeah. Because yeah. at least then it's sort of, well, you know, go, what goes around comes around. <laughs> well, I think it's a kind of, uh, uh, the way I see it is it's a kind of particular male burden. Like, I was bullied because I was not typically male. I guess that's probably part of why you were bullied, because comic books and geeky things are considered well, I, to I be... I didn't really advertise those things. No. I just wasn't. Okay, uh, so, so, okay. so, they, didn't, so they, they didn't know that you did that stuff. No, I just wasn't their friend. I wasn't around them. Did they have? I mean, because that's the thing. When people do that kind of bullying, they 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 pick up on something weird and it just sticks. I mean, was there anything like that? Or? I was very socially awkward at the time. Was the major thing. Uh, I was actually having a lot of problems at home. Right. And I think a lot of that insecurity came across at the time. See, that's the thing. I was having sh- shit at home as well. Mm. And I think that that's 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 the funny thing about it. I thought it was something innate in me or some kind of problem in me, but I think it's it's they, they can we sense can sense weak weakness, can't we? We can sense when someone's going to snap. And is there the sort of tribal idea or this almost this um, animalistic instinct that well, if I pick on the weakest guy, make myself look exactly. like an alpha male or whatever? And I think that that that's something I definitely I know is in me as well. And I, I, I try to avoid being like that because mm. I, I, I just I know that when there's a load of guys around or you, you, you just... Or even you your get, own close friends. Yeah, exactly. You, tend you to... get into a rhythm and you start kind of picking on, on people and it's, you know, it, it's okay once you are an adult and you can kind of, I guess, codify it a bit, mm. like, like put it into a safe framework, like when I'm with my mates... You know, we'll take the piss out of each other, but we, you know, we're aware that we could go too far or whatever. But when you're mm. a teenager, you don't really know. Well, you're still learning those kind yeah. of social boundary issues, aren't you? Well, I think in fact, in fact, you're not capable of having certain. I think this scientifically, you're you haven't developed certain things that you will develop late, later mm. in in terms of empathy and things like that. Is is that right? Well. You, Sounds definitely plausible. It's, it's something I think is the case, but I'm not. I'm certainly not an expert on any of these things. You have two sisters, both who have different kind of conditions. Yes, and we can talk about that because they've both talked about it publicly. They're both very, very open about their which issues. is. Which is good because you know I would be uncomfortable with with talking about this with someone on the on the show if, if it was was not 
kind of public knowledge, which is it's great that it is. I, I, I asked Zoe about it yesterday and she said, oh, no, it's public knowledge. Yeah, I'm afraid the right to privacy is quite important to me as well. Yeah. Uh, well, no, don't be afraid of it. It's, you know, perfectly reasonable. Mm. In a, it's a place... I mean, I want this, these, these shows to be a safe space mm. and I don't want anyone to get upset as a result of anything that's said. I mean... I can say things about my family, like, I think one has the right to say things about one's own family, but one doesn't have the right to to have somebody else do that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I don't know, it's, com- it's weird. And I try to be diplomatic about my own family anyway. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's see, I have two sisters. Yeah. Uh, one of them is uh, all, I'm the youngest of four. Yeah. So I was... Um, so I had my eldest sister, April, then Judy, then my brother, uh, who currently lives in Australia, yeah. and myself. Um, Judy uh, has been a long-term sufferer of an eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, which has been a direct, which is a uh, direct result of um, of a source of underlying conditions, which has manifested themselves as a as an eating disorder. So that kicked in during my early teens. Well, actually about 12, sort of teenager kind of time kicking up. And that that was quite difficult because uh, she'd also display symptoms of depression, uh, even manic depression. Oh, sorry, bipolar. Yeah. So she'd be up and down from time to time. She's, she's displayed a lot of, a lot of um, different kind of uh, conditions and and she was uh, she was very difficult to live with would be the way to put it um, because sometimes she's trying to push you and push you mm. until you blow up at her so then she has an excuse to go off and binge she says oh well Gary just blew up at, up at me but you needled him until he did and did you feel responsible then? of course guilty yes so there was that interplay for a long time but you know you're, you're also you're also trying to go no this is a disorder talking and you're the youngest as yeah. well so it's not like, like I'm an older brother and that has you feel the weight of responsibility mm. but you don't you know, and so you will have felt responsibility, but you you're not in a position to do anything. You? No, younger younger siblings have no power ever. Even now, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the time, my eldest sister was away, and she would globe trot and come back and globe trot and come back. My brother went to a boarding school, which he loved, where he was top jock. <laughs> I would <Okay>. say. <laughs> You know, uh, really, I was I was very much a black sheep in comparison to him, and uh, so I was so I did take a lot of the brunt of of my sister's anguish, um, and her own and her own horrible her own horrible state what she was trying to deal with. So I I would then be there at points, then trying to get her up, get her out in the day, uh, to trying to break her cycle and things. And that was always, that could be kind of rough as well because at some point you're just, because when she wanted to hurt you, she really knew where your insecurity was and she just pound it with something. Oh, as only a sibling can probably know. 
and she's yeah. and she's bright in herself, so she's going to she's going to pick up on what your insecurity is. Uh, but I I have while while I've had moments of utter hatred for her, I have nothing but compassion for what she's gone through and for what she's brought herself through now. Uh, just recently, she did have a fall back. It was after many years on the um, on the mend or being not having any incidents. Uh, what I saw her say instance um, uh, episodes of depression or binge eating that kind yeah. of thing and uh, after all her treatments the one that worked best was kind of um, was almost treating it like a an addiction yeah this is not what you do this is your routine you stick to your routine you do not lie on the couch all day you do not do this when you are feeling like binging you have three meals a day and you do not snack that kind of thing yeah and and that routine was a strong sort of stabilizing force. So she did have a fallback a while ago. She has a very high pressure job, I think would be the way to describe it. What she does, she works for the Irish NHS. And as an outpatient or as a person who's come through the system, she goes in and she talks to people who are about to go into the system. Mm. Um, people who could be suffering from anything from schizophrenia, eating disorder anything like that she will tell them what to expect and she will manage their cases in that way and that is and that is awfully awful high pressure stuff especially for for someone who can be as emotionally aware and emotionally as sensitive as as herself but also a very uh, great tool for her to have had the experiences of the people that she is then uh, helping. Yes. I mean that. That's. I mean, and so often that is the kind of route that people who have uh, mental health issues go down. I know in my own life, friends and people mm. who I'm not going to name have gone that way. Do you think that you were interested in uh, psychology for this reason? I mean, uh, it seems as, as a writer, this is what I'm, I'm like. Oh, here's the key to this character. But I mean, it's probably it's probably nonsense. Uh, it wasn't that. Uh, no, it actually didn't. Um, I think my my keenness for psychology came through more of a cognitive perspective, as opposed to that emotional touchy feely stuff. And April is your other sister. April is my other sister. Yes, she is. Seven years older than me. Many years ago, can't remember the exact date. Sorry, she was diagnosed as having a tumor on her pituitary gland. Uh, pituitary, it's the tumor is known as acromegaly, and what that does is it attaches. It, it's on the pituitary gland, and it causes the secretion of great of a large amount of growth hormones and so forth. So. Due to it, she is she has had a distended jaw, and bigger hands and feet, and she has actually been uh, yelled at as being called a transvestite transsexual. Yeah, which is which is quite rough. <laughs> April's story gets uh, more interesting. She had an initial surgery to remove it. This was back when I was eighteen. I remember because I was at school doing my exams at the time. Yeah, uh, so that. So the so it subsided for a while. 
April is one of these extremely, extremely bright people. Oh yeah, I've met April. Yeah. Maybe a wedding. And if she could just apply herself to something, <laughs> it would be... I mean, when she does apply herself to something, I'm sure she does a fantastic job. But uh, after she did her Masters in um, Brunel in Medical Anthropology, uh, I think they offered her a teaching position. It's like, no! Ugh. So, eminently, eminently intelligent. Uh, I hope she doesn't hear this. <laughs> Uh, what because you're complimenting her yeah I can't say that about yourself I'm complimenting your sister yeah um, so after so many years her 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 uh, condition redeveloped the tumour came back uh, the prog- the prognosis from the doctors was that she had to go and receive a radiation therapy or a surgery followed by a radiation therapy this would kill her pituitary gland yeah. To which she said no. Why? I asked myself that for a while. Yeah. Um, she decided to follow a more alternative medical route. She did not want the destruction of her pituitary gland. She felt it would be an invasive procedure upon herself and who she was and if she's got no pituitary gland what would that mean uh, she'd be on hormone regulation therapy for the rest of her life right and she would not be able to have children well I think it'd be very very unlikely so you can understand why she would not want to lose that yes I can understand that but then again I'm sort of going you're doing much rather benefit, be alive cost benefit analysis <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a bad thing your yeah. death is worse yeah uh, the, 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 the difficult part is when she goes it was, uh, well, I'm not going to have the surgery. Instead, I'm going to follow an alternative medical route. And you're kind of have alarm bells ringing off your head going, no, don't do that. Please, standard medical approach. And that was, but all I could do was support her because she's as stubborn as they come. She's not going to change her mind. So you can either get very, very angry with her and she can hate you, or you can go, go and go and try it. You know, yeah. good luck to you. Uh, love you very much. Uh, please reconsider the other approach. Uh, so she, so she went on her. So she went on a, a journey of self healing, which took her through a number of different alternative methods. Again, um, the term alternative, meth- or alternative medicine nowadays is kind of being replaced with complementary medicine because they don't want people to actually go stop using standard medical treatments but and just use these things to aid their medical treatment. But that's another issue well, that much sure my thing, sister would agree with. If it's not, if it's alternative, like you're, it's either medicine mm-hmm. or it's not. Yeah. Like alternative medicine is a little bit of a kind of paradox because if it's if it works then it's, it's medicine. medicine it doesn't yeah. matter if it's some tree bark or if it's well that's a, medicine a, a, exactly, <laughs> that's the exactly, tree. exactly exactly <laughs> you went all tim minchin there didn't you so yeah there, there, there are there's this more movement nowadays to look at more comp to take more as complementary medicine but april took herself through a number of different um voyages of healing including uh a boga, ayahuasca, uh, 
certain training techniques, purging. Well, well, hang on, what's a boga? A uh, boga is a... It's a... Gosh, I can't remember. Is it, it's either a root or a fungus. Okay. And, and then, what this is supposed to purge all the things from you. And stuff. Okay. And, and then, but it has... Um, it, it it has properties. It, it'll take you through a, a voyage of discovery. So they're hallucinogens. I would not say that, and right. my sister would crucified me when I did say that. Okay. Um, she would say that they um, that they bring you into a dream state, uh, an area of awareness. Okay. Yeah. People can make up their own minds. They can really make up their are. own minds. I'm not a believer myself, but my sister is still alive. After after she should be dead, right? So, so my so my skepticism is getting a kick in the face by that. Well, I mean, and I'm, also my happy I'm not, factor. I'm not unskeptical. I mean, I'm not. I mean, uh, sorry, that's that was no <laughs> I I'm not necessarily skeptical. I just think they're hallucinogens, but it doesn't mean that I think they they don't work. Hmm. I mean, hallucinogens are drugs, so and they they have properties like. They they might work. I don't know if they do or not. I certainly would probably choose not to take it up with her. That route. Bring but four I nails can, and two pieces of wood. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I, I, I. But I can understand if there's an actual process. I think they find the term. I think she'd find the term hallucinogenic sort of. Is, I think. I think the issue is that they find the term to be offensive. That they're just trying to get some cheap thrill out of us. When actually it's supposed to be more about the healing. Well, I mean, obviously, mm. I would never take hallucinogens and never have taken hallucinogens. But mm. I've read about hallucinogens. It's research for books that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I don't think that hallucinogens in themselves are uh, all about just hedonism or anything. A lot of the people who pioneered their use were psychiatrists and people like that um, who sort of dream interpretation ideas well, of trying to uncover what you're actually thinking yes, or what you actually feel exactly. by looking at it's a pro- and, 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 and hallucinogens have been taken by tribes to uh, go on vision quests and things like this hmm. that that have some resonance some some way of working on people I'm, I, I have Friends who who I'm not going to name either, <laughs> who have taken hallucinogens and and they uh, they have had significant mental experiences. I'm not sure about the physical experiences that 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 they can help someone physically, but I'm not I'm not against that. I mean, you know more about about how the mind mind and body connect. I mean, is there a way? Do you think that there's something in this whole positive thinking or? things like that can actually have an effect oh okay uh, as in I think it can have an effect I think if you if you maintain a positive disposition it will it will have a you will yield a good result from us um, whether that is whether that is completely true or testable well there's then there's recently been a book written by a American woman uh, I want to say Barbara Enright, but that's probably not right. Um, 
uh, about the problem with positive thinking mm. attitudes like she had cancer and she got she was like why am I supposed to feel happy why am I supposed to feel positive all the time I don't feel positive and it will it actually make any difference if I feel unhappy or not and she and in that book she claims that really statistically some people survive some people don't it doesn't really make any difference if you're happy or not well, um, I think positive. it kind of does on well, a personal level. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, uh, if you're positive about it, like that, that that positive thinking won't cure cancer. I don't think it will. No, no. <clears throat> I think it can increase your disposition, and I think uh, maintaining positive emotion can have some physiological, uh, can have some good physiological consequences. Yeah, I can see. That. Um, to be honest, I, I, I don't know. Um, I did recently have a big conversation about positive psychology and that kind of thing. And all I can say is, at, right now, the, the, the work is fairly inconclusive. But, I mean, if, if, even if it's just a placebo effect, if it works for you, it works for you. And that's sort of nothing to be sneezed at in its own way. And... It must have been quite hard for you, in some ways, supporting somebody's choices, but clearly not a hundred percent behind them. them. Yeah, that is a, that is um, that that is actually a very very difficult thing to come to terms with because what you're because what I was doing is I was standing there, and my family actually have a have a uh, sort of patch in Galway where a lot of my family have been buried and my dad is scheduled to go in there hopefully not anytime soon and we've had uh, so you go up there and there's like I, I saw my grandfather's name and my great grandfather and this kind of thing and it's beautiful area green overlooks overlooks uh, overlooks down to sort of the um, harbour area in Galway and it's lovely and I just had this picture of pushing my sister in the ground there and then going well what if I said something at the time how am I going to feel at that point in time knowing I didn't push her this way and then well I'll just have to accept at that point in time that there is nothing I could have done except give her the support that I gave her and I don't know if that's going to be enough for me when that if that on that day You've informed her, though, of your opinions, even if you've done so with kind of, ah, don't hit me, kind of thing. Yes, I have. So you've done everything you can do. Mm-hmm. Oof. She is ultimately responsible for her own decisions. Yes, I'm not allowed to handcuff her and force her to anything. It's... And it's frustrating, that. I mean, I've... <laughs> yes, it is. You know, I've, <laughs> I've been in, in, in situations with friends and family where yeah exactly that where you, you really want uh, and it can make you you know it can make you it sounds like you've handled it very well I I once said in an email to someone who will also remain nameless if you kill yourself I will kill you I was a teenager I was about 13 or 14 <laughs> strong but one of the most ridiculous things that has I, I can never imagine ever having said and it, and it, and it you know it, you can't you can't ultimately help someone any more than you are you're supporting her and that's a I think that's a very well once you 
Well, when you're always going to, well, you're always going to feel that guilt that you could have done something yeah, but more. Then you're Catholic, something right, could so have you gone. Yeah. Well, I was cat. I was brought up Catholic. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> I have the guilt. That's the significant <laughs> bit. Yeah. Uh, but I'm saying you. You don't. I mean, I, I'm terrible at getting rid of guilt myself. Yeah. But it really lingers. Get. But you know. It's easy to say to somebody else, "That's not your guilt." You know, let it go. Mm. It's not your guilt, but uh, yeah. I, I would probably feel the same yeah. in your shoes. <laughs> it's a difficult thing to get on with, yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a funny thing, because I'm a sort of middle child. I've got younger siblings and older siblings. Uh, all of the older siblings will have been on the show at some point, and probably not the younger one. And it, it's a strange... Because you're the youngest child. Yeah. But it seems to me like you've got the same sense of responsibility for your siblings that I sort of have towards my younger sister. Without any ability to control or even manhandle. Yeah, but you can't do that if you're the older one either. I mean... Ultimately, what do you mean? Older siblings can manhandle you because I've been pretty manhandled by my older siblings. A lot. That's true. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. That's not my style as an older sibling. No, oh, you've been doing it wrong. Well, there's there's six years. It's a bit. Um, Seven years between me and my older sibling. She's a girl. Yeah, oh, she is a girl. My older sibling. Yeah, exactly. So she's a girl. So she. So an older girl can manhandle their younger brother. Mother. But it's a little bit different if you're an older brother manhandling a six-year younger sister yes. who is actually a half-sister and so has a oh. different father who's a Protestant Irish person <laughs> who has, and they have their own cross to bear, literally. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a funny one. It's a funny one. But it seems to me that you've got the same kind of... Um, feeling of responsibility even though you're a younger sibling you're supposed to be all free and easy <laughs> and everything's supposed to be like yours you're supposed everyone's supposed to resent you because you get everything the thing yeah uh, yeah I've, I've been through this argument many times where i've had the older siblings like oh you get away with everything it's like no i don't i got away with exactly what you got away with the thing is Mum and Dad put the restrictions on you. You broke them. They realised yeah. you didn't die, so they just let me get away with this as well. Well, yeah, but... Uh, you broke them for me. That was it. Yeah. Well, there's definitely that element. But it sounds to me like you had a, a tough time because the older siblings was, were still... that maintained the limelight despite the fact that oh, you were supposed to have it. As yeah. the youngest one. Never had any limelight. <laughs> yeah. and, and I didn't own my own original piece of clothing until I was about 15. Oh god, hand me downs. Yeah, yeah. I have two older wear, sisters. That's really embarrassing. At primary school, I had to, yeah, no, I had to wear pink, pink jeans. Dude, I was just joking so my, about that. No, no, seriously, <laughs> I did. My my niece, um, who will also be on the show, she's older than me, and I I got her hand me downs on. I had to wear pink jeans to school. <laughs> my mum dressed me in. Um, well, on that note, really, um, we've we've gone over time, but it was oh. fascinating stuff. So I didn't want to stop. So it's a good job I uh, deleted those files before we started. <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to plug? Right. Um, if you're interested in LARP, go chase Zoe's one. Her podcast. Yeah, I've got far too many emails as it is. 
Um, <laughs> seriously. And uh, if, uh, if you are sort of interested in the alternative methods, my sister has also done a, a podcast uh, where she's talked about her, her journey of healing, okay. which sort of involves body, spirit and mind, trying to bring them together in a way that traditional method doesn't, or traditional medicine doesn't. Okay, and what's the what's the name of that podcast? Do you know off the top of your head? No, I do not know off the top of well, my I'll head. Well, I'll put a link on the on the uh, website of this show, and you'll be able to follow there. I'm gonna definitely check it out because I'm always interested in hearing different people's opinions about anything. <laughs> it's it's a very different opinion, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Gary. Thank you. uh, The last thing I ask my guests to do really is to say goodbye to the audience. Okay. Uh, Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. So, this conversation was recorded a couple of years ago now. The Pope that we talked about is no longer the current Pope. And, much more importantly than that... Gary and Zoe have a new person to share their lives with as they had a baby daughter and they are wonderful people to watch co-parenting and what an exciting and loving and positive household she has to grow up in. I look forward to seeing her getting older and getting better acquainted with her. So congratulations to them. Thanks for listening. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.